welcome to another episode of Pilgrim Devotion. I am your host, Michael Howard, the senior pastor of Seaford Baptist Church. And this is a podcast for anyone inside or outside of Seaford Baptist Church, anyone who is living the pilgrim life, representing the kingdom of God in the kingdom of man. And we are back with an, a guest this week. We, this is the third. I'm just going to tell him. I'm going to tell him. <laughs> At this point, we just got to go with it. It is just... the third time we have pressed record. Oh, man. We'll uh, be right. We are just, we're longtime friends who can't get it together here. So I have Kenny Van Horn with us, yes, and yes. so much has changed in his life since his first appearance on the podcast. Right, that right. was a two-part episode with uh, the other, I guess, you know, our, our, our other reasonable creature. We, we kind of right. call ourselves that in a text thread we have, Jeff Beard. Our kind of our adoptive sensei in a lot of ways, right? He is our splinter. He yes. is our splinter. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, yes, a lot has changed in your life since you were on with yeah, Jeff and I. Yeah. Then you were a pastor at, at Old Powhatan right. Baptist Associate Church. Associate pastor at Old Powhatan and now a pastor at West End Baptist. When I was on... What did we say? That was well, it was week one of the NFL, so the second week of September, I think. It was the, yeah, it was right and, around uh, then. I was I was right at the finishing up the process with West End Search Committee, um, looking. I'm trying to remember if I had, no, I'd already preached there, uh, so just waiting for them to to vote, yay or nay, get this bum out of here, or yeah, he'll do. Yeah, <laughs> you were. I mean, you were holding on. I, I was walking through that with you, and just, it was weeks of, I mean, you're just waiting, you know? It's yeah. something that you desire, and you don't want it to become yeah. an idol. Right. You don't want it to, where you desire this thing more than you desire the Lord. Right. Well, I remember people kept congratulating me, and I was like, they haven't voted yet. Right. I don't want to, like, yeah. you know, like, uh, count the chickens before, pre- my my line, and it was true, it was, I don't want to presume upon the Lord. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to go, you know, build barns when I might die tomorrow kind of thing. And uh, so, yeah, people were like, well, congratulations, we're going to miss you. And I'm like, whoa, hang on. (laughs) Well, it's like you were trying to hold it all in perspective. Yeah. But it was really hard because it's something you really desired and prayed for for quite a while. And you had also at that point met these folks and uh, stirring in your heart to pastor them. I felt like the Lord was already kind of really knitting us all together. And so if if it didn't come to fruition, it would have been one of those like, man, what... Yeah. What was this about if it wasn't that? But but praise God, he brought us together, and we are excited to be serving there and excited for the future and all that the Lord will will be pleased to do with this local body. You've been in the saddle there now for three weeks? Yeah, I think three weeks. This is my uh, three weeks, second Sunday preaching. Wonderful. Well, if any of the saints from West End Baptist Church are listening uh, greetings to them from the folks at Seaford Baptist and from the Pilgrim Devotion family. Absolutely. So, yeah, so we are here to talk a little Two Kingdoms. This is going to be published on Election Day, and uh, the elections are upon us. It's a local election year. I'm preaching through Romans 13 right now uh, with our church. I thought this would be a good time to do that as opposed to doing it next year because I think that we all know that's probably going to be, you know, a little heated. <laughs> I think that's safe to say. So instead of doing it in the presidential year and talking about the purpose of government, and and this is bigger than the purpose of government, uh, two kingdoms, and really Romans 13, Mm -hmm. which is what I'm preaching through because I think it's a great two kingdoms passage. It touches on government, but it's not simply... Uh, it's not simply politics according to the Bible. No, it's also our role just in culture and in Mm -hmm. society and what we're supposed to be doing in light of the return of Christ. It's Mm -hmm. all there. So 
I, I'm looking forward to getting to go through the series during this month, and I hope that it'll lay a good foundation for the church heading into the election year. And I hope that this podcast is a little bit of an anchor we can drop so that maybe folks from both of our churches and anyone else that we could recommend it to could go back and listen if they're confused in 2024 about how to feel about everything mm. that they do end up experiencing and say, well, hey, you should uh, listen to this podcast that we had. Hopefully it's good enough that we could recommend it. Right. I mean, we did have to press record <laughs> this three is the, separate this times. This is the third time through, so we'll see how this third goes. Third time's a charm. So yeah. this is going well so far. Yeah. Much better. Uh, last time I think we had talked about football, the Virginia State Senate election, we were deep into the podcast. Right. And we Very had little two kingdoms. Yeah. I mean, we were all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And then the second time, we just couldn't even stop laughing. I was I was holding my breath because I was afraid <laughs> I was going to start squealing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Hopefully, this will be uh, much better. But, yeah, we're going to talk two kingdoms theology. And if you're not familiar with that, it would be important for us to define, define. It. Yeah, yes, define, define it and define some terms. So, <clears throat> let's just let's actually start at the beginning of the Bible. So at the beginning of the Bible, and if you have a Bible, you could go there. If you hear pages flipping, we certainly have ours out. We're not just talking in like an arbitrary manner about uh, pie-in-the-sky stuff that doesn't really right. matter here. This is, this is rubber uh, meets the road, uh, wheels on the ground stuff here. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in chapter 2, he tells Adam to work and keep the garden. Right. And so, when you look at that, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the ultimate ruler, of course, and governor of, uh, of the entire creation. And... He puts Adam in the garden and he's going to rule it, right? He's going to rule over uh, creation. He's going to have dominion over it. And so he is like a king mm -hmm. in that way, a vice regent ruling in God's place. Um, and then you have him working and keeping the garden, which is this kind of Levitical language. It's the right. language that's used in talking about the priest <clears throat> in the temple. So he's like a king priest, we would say. Yeah. And really, there's right off the bat, I don't think, I know I didn't see this. And wouldn't have thought this was there, um, you know. You think of Genesis one, and you're just like, this is just the cre this is the creation story, right? Um, but there's a lot of eschatological realities going on already that really set up. This is why Genesis is so important because it sets up the whole rest of the Bible, um, beginning to end. And I was reading, talking about how this is connected to not only two kingdoms, but also covenant theology, that the work that Adam is given to do in a lot of way mirrors the work that we see God doing in creation. And what happens is we see on the seventh day, God rests. Right. Well, we don't see Adam resting, right? Instead, instead, Adam is given this task to do that kind of mirrors the work of God in a lot of way, this kind of dominion and cultivation. Um, and he's kind of given, put to the test, right? The uh, don't eat, eat the fruit of this tree. And should he pass the test, this is where it gets into that eschatological reality, then he gets to enter into the rest, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, but what happens? Well, and, and we should say, it's a, I think it's an important term to use, this is a covenant of works. Right, yes. He must, he must obey. Yeah. Right? In, in, order, in order 
for him to receive the blessing. Yeah. He must obey. But let me ask you, I mean, again, for me, this was mind-blowing when I, like, read, you know, stumbled, saw this there. Would you have thought, before you kind of started getting into this, that Genesis 1 and 2 would have such a direct connection to heaven? I would not have thought that in my younger years of Christianity. Sure. I mean, I, I would say that... Yeah, I read Randy Alcorn's book on heaven in two. I, it's so funny that book is so important to me, but it is. Like when I, when you talk to me about different theological subjects, I will have some some of those subjects when I respond with, "Oh, well, this book helped me." It is right. going to be a name that somebody would say, "Well, it's a giant. That's a theological right, giant." Right. And somebody says, "Well, what's your heaven book?" It's like Randy Alcorn. <laughs> uh, not necessarily a theological giant, but that book helped me a lot, and. I don't even agree with him on everything, you know, theologically, but the book helped me a lot. So when I was reading that book, I think then I started to really see those connections. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was a solid 10 years into my Christian walk, I suppose. I think, you know, before, and, I, and this is why I think that getting a um, kind of the storyline of the Bible is so important. You know, in my younger years, when I would approach Genesis 1 and 2, you just think kind of answers in Genesis, Ken Ham stuff, the explanation of how the universe began. Yes. And it doesn't have this connection to redemptive realities. It's just kind of the, the origin story of Genesis, the universe. Genesis gets us here, Revelation gets us out of here. Right, exactly. And you don't see that con kind of connection point with what God is doing, what he's called Adam to do, and what Adam could have... Um, what he could have had, had he had he passed the test, yeah, in the garden, absolutely. So this idea he doesn't pass rest. the test, right? He doesn't pass the test. He fails as a king priest mm -hmm. in the garden, and he doesn't get rest. It's a curse. Genesis three. You see, first of all, God speaks to. The serpent, Genesis 3, verse 14, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, in the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Should we, at this point, is, do you think it would be helpful to kind of bring up some of the ideas that two kingdoms interacts with kind of um, I don't want to say opposing views, but alternative views. Let's of keep seeing Adam's just, work connected to ours. I think let's just keep explaining it. Okay, we'll let's keep just, working through. Yeah, and then we'll show a difference. Gotcha. So at this point, a curse is pronounced, and yet in the midst of it, there's this promise. Right. And the promise is that a child will come from Eve's line, the serpent crusher. Yes, and he'll be he'll he'll have his heel struck right it'll be bruised which is not a fatal it's blow. not a fatal wound but he'll crush the head of the deceiver which is a fatal wound yes that that's, is a that's fatal the wound. death strike and just go ahead and re the big reveal that's right. jesus that's jesus okay yeah. and there he is did you know that jesus was in genesis 3 <laughs> so there's the second adam right the first adam fails and immediately we have a promise regarding right. the second adam who will be a perfect king priest and it sets, way up, adam it sets up the anticipation for the whole rest of the bible like yes. this is now what who we're looking for is this second adam the serpent crusher that's gonna somehow fix everything that just came unraveled absolutely and 
This is where Scott Annual in his book, uh, Citizens and Exiles, Christian Faithfulness in God's Two Kingdoms. Uh, Scott Annual has taught here at Seaford. He was a professor to Pastor Ben, and so Ben brought him here to do some stuff on family worship. Well, he is a Baptist fella, and... I'm sitting here going, you said that already, but that was one of the uh, aborted <laughs> takes. Yes, that was, uh, that was the, the outtakes. That was probably uh, one of the most helpful things we had said earlier. <laughs> yeah, uh, so Dr. Annual uh, is a Baptist fella, and he wrote a book about... Christian faithfulness in God's two kingdoms. I think he wrote it in response to Christian nationalism. We'll get yeah, into what that is maybe bit, yeah. in just a little bit. But one of the things he points out is that in the fall, he says there becomes a separation between this perfect union that, that is there in the garden, between uh, dominion, uh, you know, governing, ruling, and worship and reverence. Mm. And that relationship is broken because the king priest fails. And then things are chaotic between Genesis 4 and Genesis... It's not that God is not in control, but uh, the world is evil and chaotic in between Genesis. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got murders, uh, uh, brothers murdering one... You know, brother murdering a brother right away. Right. And then we're heading into... Uh, you know, the Lord saying, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So, you know, the wickedness is great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of man's heart is evil continually. Is this where you want to talk about the Nephilim? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's another podcast. That right? is, and you are prepared for that podcast, <laughs> no, sir. No. You have dove into that. Uh, I remember... <clears throat> So Kenny and I talk on Marco Polo regularly. I feel like there was like a two-week period where you were on there and you're like, so the Nephilim. Yeah, it, was, it was one of those deep dives that will last for, yeah, about two weeks. And uh, you kind of come out of it and you're like, is the sun still out? What's going on? Yeah, right. So, so there is this, there's no longer this, uh, this united world where everyone is worshiping God, right? Uh, no, people have turned away from him, and there's evil in the world, uh, in the kingdom of man. What's great, though, with the narrative, um, it really just shows the the grace of God, the provision of God, because, again, from, from Genesis 3, God promises Eve that one of her offspring is going to be this serpent crusher, which means that he's got to have some... He's get, there's, there's a righteousness to him, right? That he's able to defeat the deceiver. And so then Eve, you know, at the end of chapter 3, um, or excuse me, the beginning of chapter 4, she, um, oh no, it's in the chapter 3, uh, 3 verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Um, and then at the beginning of 4, uh, she has Cain and Abel. And so you're thinking, all right, well, here we go. We've got, could, could we have one of the, one of the uh, serpent crushers right here? Well, what happens? Cain kills Abel. So one of them's dead and one of them's a murderer. It looks like this thing, you know, crashed and burned before it even got off the ground. Right. But then you see this provision um, through what ultimately will be, you know, Noah's line through Seth or Seth's line up till Noah and the preservation of Noah, this righteous man, even in the face of all the wickedness that has completely uh, overtaken the earth. Absolutely. And there's the little whispers of government 
in Genesis 4 because Cain, mm-hmm. he is, you know, he, go, he, he goes away from the presence of the Lord in Genesis 4, 16, settles in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He knows his wife, says he, uh, she, she bears Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name uh, of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So he builds a city. Yeah. So there's like some semblance of society. And even, so yeah. That's he, merciful from God. Absolutely. That despite ma- the fact that man is evil, that he is giving in his grace, uh, he is giving them the moral wherewithal, mm-hmm. right? To be able to build a society, to have some level of structure. And you see some level of, that I think it's, we'll get to uh, when we get to Noah and the Noah Yeah, we can start heading there now. Yeah, but you see this kind of, this kind of whisper, as you said, of of the idea of justice, right? Because Cain's like, they're going to kill me. And God's like, no, uh, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taking on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Um, And then he goes and settles a nod east of Eden. So there's kind of this idea of like, Anybody kills you, I'll take vengeance on them. Um, right. So this idea of kind of justice and retribution um, showing up early. So we know what happens. God floods the earth, uh, the darkest day. So I, actually, I want to talk about this so we can stop just for a moment and have a laugh. I mentioned something on the podcast with Jeff, and we never actually talked about it. We just kind of blew past we it. We were all over the place. Right. So I'm going to go back and bring it up. I we had, I said, do you have any good Jeff moments? And I said, I remember a good rebuke. And then we just blew past it. We never brought up what it was. And it relates to this. Do you remember when we were in Sunday school and Jeff popped his head in? So this is, we're at Old Powhatan. This is like 2005 when we were in like a little overflow room in the back of the sanctuary. Yes, it had an accordion yes, uh, the wall that you pulled. Partition thing, yep. We sat in there. We went through. The ladybugs on the, uh, on the windows. Boy, we had a journey in there. I don't want to get too far off track, but I remember going through like emergent church sort of books like Donald Miller. Velvet Elvis. Remember doing Velvet Elvis? Oh my gosh, man. We were, I mean, we were flying close to the sun there on that But then stuff. we did The Everloving Truth. Well, that was what happened is I started listening. <laughs> I was, I was, I was flirting with that emergent church yeah. stuff. I, I, I kind of went, when I say charismatic, I don't mean responsible charismatic i was flirting with some <laughs> irresponsible charismatics in richmond when i was in college then i was flirting with emergent church stuff i mean i was looking for a theological home and thankfully todd freel and way of the master radio introduced me to rc sproul to jay leg and duncan all those guys talked about that on uh, a couple episodes ago but sometimes we step in all the mud puddles on the road right yeah oh yes absolutely so Anyhow, we took that journey in that class. You all just took that ride with me through all those books until we actually landed on good teaching by the end of my time at Old Powhatan, thankfully. And Jeff played a big hand in that. And and to be fair, I I just would like to say, to be fair to the 21 and 22-year-old version of me, I did not realize the poison I had had in my hands with those guys. I thought it was fine. You're assuming that at that point, if it's in the bookstore, you're assuming it's safe. It's not the Book of Mormon, so we can probably bust this thing out, right? Yes. I think we were taking that bad teaching and putting a somewhat decent spin yeah. on it. We just, I mean, we were just didn't know where to drink from. We were just yeah. young, young men that didn't know where to drink from. And Jeff, that's why you call him our splinters, because he showed us. And anyhow, he stuck his head in that day. He goes, what did y'all do this weekend? Do you remember this? I don't think I remember this. I, and you I were know? like, uh, I don't know what I said. And you were like, I saw Evan Almighty. 
Oh my gosh, I do remember this. <laughs> and he goes, oh, and you man. were like, it was hilarious. And he goes, was it? <laughs> was it funny to you? I don't remember this. Just like this. It was oh, the yeah. darkest day in human history when God wiped out all of humanity except one family funny to you. And we all just sat there, mouths agape. I mean, you want to talk about, like, suddenly you're a rebuked five-year-old. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> and then we all kind of busted out laughing, and he laughed because he was like, I'm just messing with you. But he wasn't. He I mean, wasn't. he definitely laid you out. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then he pulled it back, you know, so that it wouldn't just, sting just so bad. <laughs> he applied a little balm after the bruising. <laughs> <laughs> It hurt me I more remember, than it hurt you. Yeah, so. oh my god. I remember that exactly. I didn't know where you were going with that first. Yeah, but the darkest day in human history <laughs> where the entire world is wiped out and they make a comedy about it. It's supposed to be funny. You're like, uh, no, it wasn't funny uh-huh. at all. <laughs> and in truth, uh, Jeff's probably right. And, uh, I, I'm wiping my tears away more just at the <laughs> looking back at the moment, but and that movie is not funny. I mean, if you go back, it's 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 a bad movie. Yeah, it's not Supergirl's best work, no, is it's it? Stupid. So I actually never saw it. Uh, so, brother Jeff, if you're listening, I I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> You've always been holier than me. <laughs> so no. All right, so let's get back to yes, it. So yes. with all that in mind, it truly was uh, one of the darkest days in human history. Probably number two only to the the death of the Son of God, mm-hmm. and. In Genesis 9, what happens is after the flood, God makes a covenant with Noah. Now, what we're super familiar with, of course, is the rainbow and mm. never going to flood the earth again. And uh, but, but also, what some people miss is when he says, But you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood. And then in Genesis 9, 5, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man, I will require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So a couple things there. Uh, One, first of all, we're talking about the establishment of government in the sense of Romans 13. Paul talks about how the the magistrate bears the sword as a servant for your good, mm-hmm. right? And he restrains evil with the sword. Right. He One, upholds justice. Yes. And evil is being restrained here in Genesis 9 in the Noahic Covenant in the sense that God is saying, you kill a, an image bearer, mm-hmm. then uh, the blade comes for you. Right. It's capital punishment. Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. And this then, to kingdoms folks, like... Van Drunen, Scott Annual, yeah, uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, Meredith S- Klein, Sam Waldron. Yeah. They're going to say, "Well, what you have here is the establishment of the uh, the government of the common right. kingdom." The common kingdom, and that's that's a key term in understanding. You right now we have one of our two kingdoms. That's right. This is it. This is the common kingdom. Um, where there's this institution of upholding justice. Because this isn't just for Noah's family. No, this is, this is mankind. Right. It's for, for all that are going to come from this fruitful multiplication. Mm-hmm. And it's not just for people who worship the Lord Yahweh. Right. Right? This is for people that don't. This is for everyone. This is for evil people and non-evil people. 
every well not non-evil people but you know what i mean it's yeah it's, it's yeah. for this is this is the repentant grace. and unrepentant yes. uh it is mm. that's what i mean by that this is for everyone in the common kingdom of man and like you said it's part of god's common grace he sends rain on the just right. and the unjust and he also has the sword uh of the magistrate as a servant for good for the just and the unjust for everyone in the common kingdom now, where do you see, um, just out of curiosity, I and I hope, have an answer for you. I hope this isn't getting too into the weeds, but when you get into um, kind of, so this idea of two kingdoms, a reformed two kingdoms view, we, we mentioned a couple of guys, um, Van Drunen, Meredith Klein, there's, and even if you want to zoom back out from just two kingdoms, I think two kingdoms comes out of a covenant theology framework right. of looking at the scriptures. Absolutely. But when you get into covenant theology, and if I'm getting too far into the weeds and say, I oh, we don't have time to get into that, then then stop me. Um, but they go hand in hand. Sure. And you really can't do too much two kingdoms work without understanding covenant theology. Some level. Okay. Yeah. Um, when we say covenant theology, we're saying, I talked about this a little bit uh, in the What is Reformed Theology podcast that we put out. When we're talking about covenant theology, we're saying that God expresses his saving purposes for his people in covenants. Right. Throughout the Bible, right? Successive covenants and 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 you are what do you have here? I'm I'm excited about it. You have some <laughs> looks like you have very important documents out of here. Well, phone. I was looking because and again, this is why I'm saying this might be too in the weeds. Um What was the question? The question I was gonna say is is seeing so within covenant theology, there is an in, in understanding covenant of works, covenant of grace, old right. new covenant, and understanding the continuity and discon discontinuity of them. Um, I think once once we're once we're talking about the Noahic covenant, and certainly once we get into the Mosaic covenant in relationship to um, Genesis two, we're talking about where we see one ending and another beginning. Um, and I was just curious what you thought, where, where you're seeing. Um, so, I mean, just, just run through uh, a Baptist, a Reformed Baptist uh, covenant of theology. So you're asking where do I see the covenant of works ending and the covenant of grace beginning? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm asking. That was a very much more distinct, succinct way of what I was hammering about. So what I was looking at is I was pulling well, up this graph. So um, I would say that I see the redemptive kingdom being established in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. Is yes, that what you're yes. asking? Uh, I'm looking at, so the old covenant, covenant of works, right? When does the covenant of works end? Um, and when does the covenant of grace begin? This is something that we talked about in our systematic theology class, and I really wish that I, I could go back <laughs> I, I, and pull I'm, my I threw answer. A, uh, I threw a, a, a wrench in the yeah. Let's here. not let's not go down this path and let's come back because I had an answer for this because we talked about it. Christ, I guess suffice it to say that once you get into once we get into where we're getting ready to go, which is uh, the redemptive covenant, the covenant of Abraham, of works, you, but the covenant of works. We all still fail in Adam, exactly. and Christ succeeds in, and that's how it connects too to two kingdoms. Because Absolutely, 
there is a sense in which... And I think that's what's important for this right, conversation. Right, exactly. And I might be getting ahead of myself, but when we talk about, when we get to it, we talk about as Christians what our role is in fulfilling what Adam was commissioned to do or not. We're kind of talking about this idea of um, the covenant of works and how um, we fail under it. So why would we... Why would we attempt to pull it off when we already know we failed and Jesus already fulfilled it? So sure. Um, but I, I guess I brought it up just because um, I like to be complicated. But you know, once we get to Abraham, we're talking about um, you, in Israel all ties in and seeing where um, you would certainly have brothers though that say and sisters that say the covenant of grace begins in the announcement of the child that will come from Eve? I don't know, to be honest with you. So, the, and this is why it gets confusing. Um, I say confusing. It gets sticky because you have to decipher if you're talking about a paedo-baptist view. Yeah, we're, 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 yeah, yeah we're, we've gone Baptist. off the rails here. All this right, is no this good. Is, this right, is let's all my bring fault. it back. Okay. Let's bring it back. Okay. Uh, so, Genesis... <laughs> Genesis 9, the most important thing to understand is this, that the covenant of works, everybody listening to this has failed in it. You you fell with Adam. Yes, yes. You, you sinned in him and fell with him. Right. As, he is your federal, your federal head. head. He is your representative. Right. Romans 5 and 6. Yeah. And, and death is spread to all men, and you have failed in the covenant of works as right. well. Right, right. All right, and, and you were born in sin. And your failure in the covenant of works is evident in your life uh, you, from birth. Mm -hmm. You don't have to teach a kid to, to, to take a toy from someone in the nursery if they want it. Yeah, so. they're, all, they're already good at it. Right. So with that in mind, we go to Genesis 15. We're still expecting this child that's going to come from Eve. Right? Mm -hmm. In Genesis 12, God... Calls, calls Abraham or Abram. Abram. We can just say Abraham just for the sake of not having to go back and forth. Some who will probably get upset that I just said that, but just for the sake <laughs> of not confusing. We already we are, we took that three minute detour. <laughs> I apologize for that. It's all good. I was trying to do something helpful, but I didn't have enough of a clear thought to, to get us there. So we just kind of uh, I stepped into my puddle. It's a, it's okay. It's a, it's fine. Uh, and now. We have Abram in Genesis 15, or now I've said Abram. So <laughs> uh, we have Abram, Abraham in Genesis 15, and the Lord says to him, Fear not, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Now he has been promised that he is going to have what in Genesis 12? He is going to have land. Land, seed, and promise. Right, yes, he is going to have a line. Mm -hmm. Right, a lineage, and he will. Uh, God will bless those who bless Abraham, and him who dishonors Abraham, he will curse. And in him, all the families of the earth are are going to be blessed. So, yeah. and this is our redemptive covenant. That's what we're talking about. Yes. Because when you get into Genesis fifteen, he says to God, "I don't have, I don't have a kid." Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And God makes a covenant with him. He takes him outside, which I love that. He's like, let's go outside. <laughs> yeah. Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. 
and he believed the Lord, mm. and he counted it to him as righteousness. There it is. He trusted the Lord. Romans 4. Right. And so uh, it is ca- it's Romans 4. It's, yeah. counted, it's counted to him as righteousness. And then they have the, the covenant ceremony, if you will, mm-hmm. where the bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And the birds of the prey come down, Abram drove them away, but then he's put into a deep sleep. And God promises him that uh, your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Abraham's not looking for a land made by human hands right. is he? he's is, looking uh, this is hebrews if you go to 11, hebrews 11 yeah he's looking for and this is why this is why we're even doing this um because just to kind of uh kind of give the plot away a little bit it this is why it's so helpful for us to understand as christians navigating this world who we are and what our role is here is is when we look to kind of abraham's activity as a sojourner exile looking not to looking for a if you look in Hebrews 11, um, in Hebrews 11, verse 10, speaking of Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose, whose designer and builder is God. There it is. Um, and so, uh, and then jumping down to verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Um, and so this is kind of, this is who we are as believers, um, and this is how we navigate this age, this world, as, and I might be getting a little ahead of us, but so we're kind of navigating under the common kingdom as people who belong to the redemptive kingdom. Right, so that's, that's the, two, the world. Yeah, that's the two kingdoms right there. Um, yeah, and, and you really see in Genesis 17 then the covenant of circumcision is made mm-hmm. and the distinguishing mark right. on the people of God right, is circumcision and that separates them from everyone else in the common kingdom as citizens of God's redemptive mm-hmm. kingdom. Right. They still exist in the common kingdom, but they're citizens of the redemptive kingdom. And... Let's stop here. Let's go to part two. Right. We'll run that. Uh, what I'll do is I'll run this on election day, and then we will run part two the week after. And we'll finish up talking about the redemptive kingdom, and then we'll really get into how we live in this world as uh, pilgrims, exiles, sojourners. sojourners. Yes. Sounds good. So, uh, But we'll stop right here, and since this is the end of the episode for this week, let me ask you... Christian, how is your soul doing as a pilgrim that lives uh, in the common kingdom of man, representing the kingdom of God? It can get hard, so how is your soul doing? How is God's grace at work in your life? And how would you like for his grace to be at work in your life? Where, where do you look at your life right now and say, man, I really wish I saw him working here, I saw him working there, 
and, and then start to think about what's going on. You know, what, what is there in, in my heart that is hindering me from more intimacy with the Lord? You think about these questions. You say, I need to talk to a pastor. Reach out to us. Connect at seafordbaptist.com. We would be happy to get in touch with you. And yeah, we'll be back with part two next week. Until then, keep living the pilgrim life. Thank you.